Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Meg and she takes us through her second pregnancy, birth and postpartum journey with her daughter, Emmy. Meg has been on the podcast before with the birth of her son, Teddy, so I'll make sure that I link that episode in the show notes if you haven't heard it yet. It's a really good precursor to this episode and gives a lot of context around some decisions that Meg made and how she wanted her birth to go this time around. In Meg's episode today, we discuss her falling pregnant during lockdown, and then we talk through her plans for her birth this time and how her last birth informed some of those decisions. She wanted to have a water birth in the birth center, which she ended up doing, and she takes us through going into labor and how this time was just totally different to the first birth that she had. So it's a really nice contrast um, of episodes, and it's just really lovely to hear the way that Meg talks about this birth. She also takes us through her short postpartum period. Emmy's only three weeks old, but how she's found being a mum of two, what her breastfeeding journey's been like, um, where and how Emmy sleeps, and anything else that was sort of relevant to the postpartum period so far. So I think this is a really lovely episode. I'm pretty confident that you are going to enjoy it. I would love for you to share a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts, or feel free to send me a message on Instagram or email if you want to let me know how you found the episode. I'd also love for you to share it on social media if you're listening to it. So take a screenshot, post it on your story and tag at Kiwi Birth Tales. I would love to see where you are in the world and where you're listening from. Awesome. Let's jump into the episode. Hi, Meg. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back. Awesome. And would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family, just in case they haven't heard your first episode or they don't happen to follow you on Instagram? Sure. Uh, I'm Megan. I am a mum of two under two, including three-week-old baby Emmy and 21-month-old Teddy. I have a small business called She Said Yes, which I run in my spare time, which is quite limited at the moment. (laughs) And I am married to Blair. Awesome. Very cool. And do you want to take us through what the journey was like to pregnancy for you guys this time around? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like, oh, and um, you might hear quite a few baby noises (laughs) as I'm holding baby Emmy. Just fed. So we mostly little grunts and hopefully some sleep very soon. <laughs> uh, like many people, uh, Emmy is a lockdown baby. <laughs> in 2020, we all found ourselves with a little bit less to do than usual. Yeah. And uh, Blair, who is usually working a lot and goes overseas a lot, um, was home more often, which makes conceiving slightly easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we decided when Teddy was just about a year old that we would try um, again. And we had a much easier journey to pregnancy this time. With my last pregnancy, 
It took a few years. I had hypothalamic amenorrhea, which I talked about in my first episode with you. Um, so I, I actually thought it might be more difficult this time. Mm. I started using ovulation sticks. Um, actually, skip a month. First of all, I didn't get pregnant my first sort of two months. Yeah. And so I had a blood test just to, to check whether I'd ovulated. And so at the beginning of June, they said, no, you didn't ovulate last month. So I bought ovulation sticks and I started using them. And the first day that I peed on the stick, it told me that I was ovulating. It was about mm-hmm. day nine of my cycle. So I was like, okay, let's start this. <laughs> and every day the line got darker and darker. And I kept saying to Blair, okay, we have to do it again. <laughs> and by by the end of the first week of that, we were both like, we have to do it again. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> we spent the day running around after this toddler who was yeah. amazing, but so busy and so high energy. And so um, I think we got to about day 10 or 11 with the ovulation sticks. This might be too much information. I don't no, know. No. This. <laughs> um, but Blair had to go to work that evening. And so... I think we must have had sex in the afternoon. And then I was like, I just cannot do this again. And I I peed on another stick and it was like, you're still ovulating. I was like, how can this be possible? Mm. And then this little voice in the back of my head reminded me of something a friend had said, which was that you could use ovulation sticks as early pregnancy tests. Uh. And so I then sort of had this like ding, 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 ding go off. And I was like, well, maybe I got pregnant on day nine, you know, the first day of my ovulation cycle, and I've just been newly pregnant for the last 11 days. Um, and when I bought the sticks, I got a couple of free pregnancy tests with them. So I peed on the stick, and it sure enough said, you are pregnant. Um, but it, I was like, oh, this is such a cheap test. You know, I'm, it's, it's probably wrong. I'll run up to the supermarket <laughs> for one, which says whether you definitely are, you know. And so I bought one of the ones that, that also told you how pregnant you were. Oh, yeah. And um, I peed on it and it said like three plus weeks or four weeks. And then I realized that my blood test had been wrong. Not only had I ovulated the month before, but I'd been pregnant since the month before. And oh, so my God. Trying to conceive. <laughs> it will be, I want to say waste. Um, a very nice way to put it, but in vain. And yeah. um, so... That was one reason why I was a bit tired and pretty over mm. it but really, really happy with the news. And it's quite nice to skip those, first of all, that two-week wait, but also those really, really early days of pregnancy where you're so nervous, yes. so yeah. new. So to find out that you're six weeks pregnant is, you know, a surprise, but quite nice. Yeah, yeah, awesome, <laughs> cool. And did you have many symptoms around that time, sort of once you found out? Were you feeling yes, were you I, feeling pregnant? Well, as soon as I peed on the test and I was like, this is why I'm so tired. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I definitely did start to feel symptoms pretty much from then on. And that was quite a new thing for me because with Teddy, I didn't sort of feel any pregnancy mm. symptoms until probably the third trimester besides tiredness. But yeah. when you have toddler as you know very well you can't really attribute tiredness to yeah. a symptom you're always in some stage of tired tired and was tiring life is tiring so um I was quite surprised to have these um early pregnancy symptoms of the nausea um and 
just feeling pretty near and yuck and mm. especially the sight or um smell of food really put me off yeah yeah that's so interesting and did you decide to go with a midwife for your care this time around or what model of care did you choose we did we actually have the same midwife um that we had last time and that was yeah. a really easy decision for me um first of all I think midwifery care in New Zealand is just amazing of course if you need an obstetrician you will be referred to one by your midwife um but I had a fairly good experience with the midwifery uh level of care last time and I knew Tilly and so it was really sort of a familiarity thing also with your second pregnancy I don't feel like you need quite as in-depth care Mm. I mean perhaps and so to use someone who knew about my first pregnancy and especially my first birth and what I want from my second birth was really it was really nice. So I was relieved that she did have room for me and could see um could see us through our Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And what was the rest of your pregnancy experience like? Did you do all of the standard testing that's offered in New Zealand and did you end up finding out the sex of your baby in that time? Uh, we did the standard test, so the uh, well, we did the dating scan, the twelve week, the twenty week, but we did decide not to find out the gender again. Uh, and I just, I, I know that people usually fall into one camp or the other about whether to find out, but I so encourage you not to. Possibly <laughs> can. I think you've already said, Jordan, you're going to find out again, aren't you? Oh, you have. We already that. know. Yeah, yeah, we're having another boy. <laughs> That's right. I remember. Yeah. Um, I do. I just love the surprise, and so I do yeah. tell all of my friends. I'm, um, I'm a big advocate for not finding out if you can possibly <laughs> avoid it. Yeah, and it was such a, a a lovely surprise with both of them. Yeah, awesome, cool. And did your symptoms change much after the first trimester? Like, did you notice that the nausea sort of yeah. went away, or how were you feeling in trimester two and three? Yeah, actually, um, I think that the, those symptoms did sort of go away in, sem- in semester, in trimester two. And I actually had a really, a pretty good pregnancy um, until the end, until, you know, you get big and uncomfortable and there was a lot of flare pushing me up the stairs and yeah. um, supporting me in, in various physical ways. Like he got really good at the perfect way to lift me off the couch without <laughs> any of my joints. And, and that's been a very good skill for him to learn because I'm still uh, a little bit of an invalid now. And yeah. um, so I'm putting those skills to good use. Uh, but no, the, the rest of the preg- pregnancy, I would say, was, was pretty good so far as I can remember now. I think I look back on it with slightly rose-tinted glasses, though. <laughs> um, it's so easy. You forget so much of the discomfort once you're in a new place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess um, you've obviously given birth once before, but did you decide to do any antenatal classes or birth education before this birth? No, I didn't. I, I actually wish that I had. Um, and I think that it could have made the beginning of my labor easier had I revisited those sort of hypnobirthing techniques that I yeah. had gone through in my first pregnancy. Yeah. But I didn't. And that's probably down to time more than anything. Yeah. You know, it's pretty busy um, already, and I suppose it felt like, well, I've done, I've done that before. I don't need to do it again. Mm-hmm. But I think that going through the breathing exercises that I had tried to use the first time would have been useful the second time. Mm-hmm. I think another reason I didn't do it is because those techniques didn't work for me the first time. Yeah, possibly didn't give them enough credit. Uh, but 
as it transpired, they did become useful. Mm. Yeah. So hindsight, I would say that, you know, that could have been could have been beneficial to have gone through those again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And did you have, I guess, a birth plan or thoughts on how you wanted your birth to go or did any of Teddy's birth sort of inform the way that you were feeling about this birth? What were your thoughts there? Yes, absolutely. So um, with my first birth with Teddy, I had wanted a water birth. I had expected to go to birth care and um, have the pool running and, you know, relax in there having my contractions. Mm. I think I have also a slightly I had a slightly warped view of what a water birth was um I saw it as more like a relaxing spa than (laughs) it is which is still birth I was you know so still giving birth Um, so definitely I had that in my head that I was going to have the birth that I'd really wanted um with Teddy and if you haven't listened to my first birth story with Jordan I went to birth care and unfortunately I I never got in the pool. I didn't dilate enough um, at birth care and I ended up being transferred to hospital um, where I had uh, a walking epidural for a couple of hours. So that was a low dose that I could still move around with. Um, and then I gave birth unassisted, but with an episiotomy uh, at North Shore Hospital. So this time I really had it in my head that I was giving birth in the water at birth care. I also thought that a second birth would be really easy and really <laughs> quick and straightforward. Um, the baby was just going to slide out of me. <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so as much as I want to uh, give women the confidence with their birth, I wish that not so many people had told me that second births were simple, easy, quick. Yeah. It wasn't as simple, easy and quick as I expected, so I probably... <laughs> Um, a little bit disappointed by that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I had this idea of, um, of what birth would be like, and it was very much informed by my first birth with Teddy. Yeah. yeah. And I do want to say, just in case you don't listen to my first birth, I still had a really positive birth experience with Teddy. And although absolutely nothing went according to plan, I'm still really happy with the way it went. And, mm. um, so I think, as I may have said a couple of years ago, I haven't listened back since, but I think I said that, you know, whatever happens, you still have your healthy baby and, yeah. you know, the birth doesn't go according to a plan that you that you might have. But I think there's always um, positives that you can find in it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And did you do anything sort of in preparation for birth? So antenatal expressing or perennial massage or you know any of that sort of stuff that there's probably hundreds of things we can we can try thank you so much for prompting me because I'm so passionate about this topic um if you follow me on Instagram you will be so sick and tired of me um talking about it but I have loved using my voice to encourage people to try antenatal expressing it was something that I did with Teddy and I found it so useful in those first few days to have a supply of colostrum um, in the freezer that I could top him up with and and also just feed him with uh, because it does take a few days for your milk to A, come in and B, sort of come into the level that, you know, you might want it at. Um, so this is something that I, I did from 37 weeks and I have talked a lot about on Instagram and if you'd like, I've, you can have a look at the highlight that I've made. Um, on Instagram, including um, Jordan, I think my most popular 
sort of story swipe up <laughs> was for 100 syringes for $17.50. Oh. <laughs> Whereas they're like, they're about $2 at the pharmacy. And if you're expressing from 37 weeks, you know, you're yeah. like 20 or 30. So, yes, absolutely. Have a look at that highlight if you're interested and swipe up and buy the, the, uh, the syringes <laughs> for $17.50. I had hundreds and hundreds of people buy those. And yeah. It's from a very obscure vet supply website. So mm-hmm. who knows what they thought was going on that day when mm. suddenly they had hundreds of people buying it. <laughs> yeah. They must have really been wondering where it came from. So I didn't bother tagging them on Instagram. I didn't think they'd be, they'd be yeah. that, um, you know, interested in the colostrum harvesting, which is, of course, not what the animal syringes were designed for, but they're completely sterile and they're perfect for this. Um, so yes, I did antenatal expressing and I so encourage women to try it. It's not necessarily an indication as to whether or not you'll be able to breastfeed. Yeah. Um, don't be discouraged if it doesn't work, but if you're getting any colostrum whatsoever, do keep going because it just increases every day and it means that you can build up a supply of food for your baby in those first few days. Yeah, I um, actually 100% wish that I did that better with Jai. Um, I tried, but I didn't find out until after he was born and I saw a lactation consultant that I was hand expressing the totally wrong way, which is why I never got anything. Um, But I think it would have made a huge huge difference to our sort of first week post-birth too. So I definitely agree that it's something you should talk with your midwife or care provider Mm -hmm. about. Sure. And um, so are you going to be buying 100 syringes? I will be, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and, and that's it. And I I think I also linked, well, I know I also linked in that story videos of how to do the expressing. So um, you'll find that just linked on a highlight on my page. It says antenatal and the photo is um, a box of syringes. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. God, you think making commission the way I talk, <laughs> yeah, the way I talk about these syringes and the uh, expressing. I promise I have absolutely no financial interest in this company <laughs> or these syringes, but I just and I've had so much good feedback from women who have tried it as a result of seeing my stories. So, yeah, awesome. Um, if I can say anything, it's give it a go. Yeah, cool, very cool. And did you do? any like perennial massage or anything like that in preparation for birth not no um and I so I had an episiotomy from Teddy and my midwife said that I definitely wouldn't tear this time that the second baby would just slide right out within a couple of hours but no I was I was filled with confidence and um arrogance that I wouldn't need to (laughs) (laughs) cool and do you want to jump into talking about your labor now so did it start spontaneously how far along were you and what happened from there sure um well I was actually pretty nervous about going into labor the week prior to um my due date my midwife had told me that I was going to give birth early and she had said during week 38 you'll have the baby next week now I should have taken that with a grain of salt because she told me Teddy was coming when I was 37 weeks and he didn't until I was almost 41. So I'm not sure why I believed her this time, but I did. And that Saturday we went into lockdown. So I was incredibly nervous and 
just really, really anxious about when I was going to go into labor, which is the complete opposite to the time previous when I was desperate to have the baby and doing mm. all of the things um, that, you know, the old wives tales to, to spontaneously go into labor, like the pineapple and the curb walking. Um, what else is I doing? Um, I can't remember, but um, no, so it was really, really different to last time. And the main reason that I didn't want to give birth during the lockdown that we were in was because there was a rule that once partners left here at birth care, they couldn't return. And so I was really nervous about spending that time alone. And as um, I may have touched on last time, Blair, and I don't have family. Um, yeah. And especially in Auckland, um, but not really in New Zealand either. And so it was already quite a stressful thing to think about who was mm. going to look ready without also thinking about, well, is Blair going to even be able to see me? Yeah. Um, will I be able to see Teddy during the, that time? And I've never spent more than a night away. In fact, I haven't spent a night away, away from him. He's only, you know, he's less than two. And um, especially because of lock, lockdown in 2020, I've just never really been away from him. So I started feeling really, really anxious around that sort of 39 weeks, having been told I was about to give birth. Um, so it was a huge relief not to. And then from that Sunday that we all went back into level one, that's when I started eating pineapple and <laughs> doing curb walking and bouncing on the Swiss ball and really hoping that um, that the baby came along soon. And I was, um, Blair had time off work and you want to make the most of those two weeks that they have if they've, you know, gone on paternity leave already. So, um, however, the baby knew when she wanted to come and interestingly, she actually came on exactly the same day as Teddy had, <laughs> which I found quite interesting. Again, because people had told me, oh, the second baby will come earlier too. Yeah. She didn't. Um, I had a scan booked for the um, the day that I went into labor. Um, and so I said to my mother, could you please send me the scan form so that I can go and do it? And she said, no, you're going to have the baby by then. You don't need the scan <laughs> Um, I was like, well, we don't know if I'm going to go into labor, so can I have the scan form? <laughs> and she said, would you like me to do a stretch and sleep um, instead? I was like, well, you know, whatever whatever we need to do to get this baby coming, so sure. So I went to see her at birth care that afternoon, and she did a stretch and sleep, and she told me that I was um, maybe one or two centimeters and that she was able to feel the baby's head and the sweep is where she tries to separate the membranes from the cervix, which can um, encourage labor. But she said, have you had any cramps? And I said, no. And she said, well, you're probably not ready to give birth then. So she gave me the scan. And she advised that I would probably have some cramping over the next 24 hours, regardless, yeah. if she had sort of just poked around in there. Um and sure enough, that night, I went to bed a little bit earlier than usual, and I was feeling pretty sort of tight and crampy. And I was up and down all night, which, of course, you are anyway in your 41st week of pregnancy, but <laughs> yeah. even more so than usual. And I just kept going to the bathroom. And I'd been wiping away um, mucus plug for the last week anyway, but mm. it did 
that I was wiping away more, which of course seemed like a natural um, result of having my membranes swept that afternoon. Yeah. But I was conscious that I was probably bothered, you know, disturbing Blair by getting in and out of bed and going to the bathroom. And so at four o'clock, I decided that the cramping was uncomfortable and it was annoying getting out of bed all the time and I wasn't really sleeping. So like any mum of a toddler who's trying to fit in a little bit of work <laughs> anywhere she can, I thought this is the perfect time to get my orders done. So mm. I came downstairs and... um I started printing off my orders and packing up my journals, um, which I, you know, do for work to to get out for the courier, which was a good thing because, of course, then I disappeared for three days shortly after. Yes. Um, so <laughs> great. I didn't miss a single day of getting my orders out. <laughs> um, but as I was doing so, as I was sitting at my computer, I realized that the cramp that I had felt in bed wasn't actually a consistent cramp and that it was coming and going. And that's when I realized, actually, this is probably contractions. Mm. But with my contractions with Teddy, from basically as soon as they'd started, they were unbearable. And so this sort of light cramping was so unfamiliar to me that I hadn't immediately realized that possibly I was going into labor. And that's probably when I started feeling really jealous of people who did have this sort of light cramping, which was totally tolerable. Um, and I, my midwife had told me to contact her as soon as I started having these cramps because of contractions, because they, it would happen a lot faster this time, but I felt like I'd be a waste of time to contact her. So I just, I waited and waited as long as I could. But once they were every three minutes, which was by just before 5am, I was like, Oh, maybe she's right. Maybe it will happen fast. Maybe I should get in touch. So Mm. I sort of watched until 5am so that I could at least give her until 5am to wake up um, before contacting her and I did that I um, sent her a text and she said okay who's looking after Teddy you need to get them over right now and I I really doubted doubted it at this point Mm. possibly because my previous labor had taken a lot longer than we thought it was going to um so like really do we really need to wake up molly who is a friend of mine who lives around the corner i was like do we really need to wake up molly at 5 a.m is this necessary um but she insisted she said she'd meet me at birth care shortly so i called molly got um waited until molly even got here before waking blair up so it was 5 30 before i told blair and he was just like me saying really we're going to birth care now are you sure it seems a bit early um but again everyone says second birth is going to be a walk in the park they that may not be their exact terminology but that's what I was expecting and it was going to happen really fast and be over and done within a few hours and I'd be home for breakfast um so got Blair up and then I felt like the boy who cried wolf on my way to birth care because I didn't have a contraction all the way from home to birth care and that was like, and I was like, oh my God, Blair, Tilly's going to be so annoyed when we've woken her up at 5am, come to birth care, and this is so not happening. So I was so relieved when I had a contraction in the car park. <laughs> and then another one in the left, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, even if even if this is a complete waste of time, at least I've had a couple of contractions in the last couple of minutes. But we were so unconvinced that we were having the baby anytime soon that we didn't take anything up from the car um because we you know we weren't convinced that it was going to happen 
we got up there and that was probably almost 6 a.m. Tilly examined me um, and I was five centimeters and she said, you're going to have this baby within a couple of hours. Hmm. And I was like, mm, I don't think so, but <laughs> if you say so, you know best. Um, and so she ran the pool and I hopped in and it was this really surreal feeling as I'm sure birth is for most people. It's not something that you're, that you're used to. Um, but it was this really surreal feeling of being in the pool and just not being in that much pain, sort of mm. having these contractions every few minutes, but almost talking through them and going, um, yeah, here's a contraction, but it's okay. It's nothing like my first birth when they were mm. coming so hard right from the beginning um and they continued like that probably until about 8 a.m and I said to Tilly do some people actually have labors like this where they just have like contractions and then they have a baby and she said oh yeah absolutely lots of people do this is your second birth and by 8 a.m she said you'll have the baby in half an hour (laughs) and I said to Blair I'm not I, I'm not as far along as she thinks I am. <laughs> I don't think I'm having a baby within half an hour because I've had a baby before. Yeah. It doesn't just come out when you're having contractions like this. And so this was probably the beginning of a little bit of miscommunication between my midwife and myself. Um, because she sort of thought I was a lot further along than mm-hmm. I thought I was. And um I probably got a bit carried away too, thinking, okay, I'm going to have a baby within half an hour. But it just didn't seem realistic that I would because it was so, so different from what I felt with Teddy. And you don't really get to give birth without going through a bit of discomfort. Mm -hmm. So what happened? I think it was around 8.15. And that's when the contractions really changed for me. And they went from being very light, um, you know, talk through them and, and certainly breathe through them in the pool to really, really intense. And my midwife, I think at this point, saw that as a really positive sign and thought that I was transitioning, uh, which is, of course, where you, oh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but it's where you go from contracting to getting ready to push the baby out. Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that right? So yeah. my midwife thought that that was me going into transition. Right. Um, and she was asking me how I was feeling and where the pain was. And of course I was like, the pain is everywhere. Um, my entire body is, is on, on fire. Mm. What, you know, there's a lot of pain. And she said, well, it's not in your ears, is it? It's definitely down there, but is it at the front or the back? Because if it's at the front, then you're still contracting. If it's at the back, then you're ready to push. And that just threw me. And I, I think I started unraveling a little bit because it was definitely still at the front and I knew that I wasn't ready to push. I just was Mm. so sure that I wasn't about to have a baby. So she asked me to feel the head and I, and tell me how, how close it was. And I felt, and I said, well, I can reach it. So it's only a couple, you know, a few inches, but I can also feel that the cervix is in front of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, well, if the cervix is still there, then you need to calm down because you're not ready to push and you still need to dilate. And I sort of started really getting in my head about about all this and feeling like I was going to fail. Um, and because of what had happened with Teddy last time and I didn't dilate enough to give birth at birth care, mm, yeah. Yeah. I 
like started getting really in my head from that from that point onwards and it wasn't until giving birth to Emmy this time that I realized what um what a mind game birth is and how important um your mental state is to be able to give birth it's given me a really um good perspective on my birth with with Teddy and perhaps why I stalled um, which is a little bit disappointing because I feel like I could have done better had I been in a in a better headspace Mm. yeah um but yeah this was the beginning of where the sort of mental challenge um, started for me so I'm in the pool and I'm having these contractions which have got a lot more intense she brought the gas over for me and I used that but I was just getting really anxious and frustrated and the sound of the gas was quite um I think a little bit stressful. It certainly Mm -hmm. changed the mood from sort of breathing through these contractions to really, you know, biting down and sucking on this gas. And, Mm -hmm. and I just started to feel like this was not going to happen. I basically demanded that she give me an examination or at (laughs) least strongly requested that she tell me how far along I was. And so she felt, and I was seven centimeters. And again, this was all part of the the feeling of this isn't going to happen. we thought it was going to because I've already been here for two and a half hours. You told me I was going to have the baby by eight. It's now mm-hmm. eight. I'm seven centimeters. And I started trying to do this mental arithmetic, which I'm not very good at anyway, but certainly not in between contractions. And I was watching the clock and, and trying to work it all out. And I think I'm a bit of a type A personality. And I was, I needed to know how long I would have to have these contractions for to be able to get to 10 centimeters. If I'd been there for two and a half hours and I'd only got two centimeters, I was trying to do this math and I couldn't. And that was stressing me out. And Blair could see me watching the clock. And my midwife was saying, you need to calm down and you've still got a while to go and you need to dilate. And I'm not sure what I found the most challenging, but it it did sort of all get on top of me a bit. Mm. And Blair said, stop watching the clock. And I couldn't. So he ended up taking it down off the wall at about <laughs> 8.30, which was the best decision he could have done because yeah. I had to stop. And I, and he, and he was also the most amazing birth partner in that he was really encouraging because I was saying, I can't do this. Um, mm. I'm not going to dilate and I'm not dilating and I should be further than seven centimeters by now. And I don't think it's happening. And he just said all the right things, which yeah. were, you are doing this. You've already got to seven centimeters. You didn't get to, you didn't get this far last time. I'd only got to um, three or four centimeters at birth care before needing to be transferred. Yeah. So he just kept telling me that my body was doing it and that the pain was a positive and that every contraction was getting closer and he likened it to running. Um, I'm not a runner, by the way, <laughs> but I can, um, I can run. And on various strange occasions, I have just decided to run half marathons, not okay. in any kind of competitive sense, but, um, and this just is going to sound very, very strange, but sometimes I've just decided I'm going to go out for a run today. I haven't run in a couple of months, but I'll do a half marathon today. And I just do. 
and I'm just quite good at putting one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. counting around the kilometers. And it takes yeah. me ages. I do not have a good running speed or technique or, um, or, or any kind of skill, but I've always been able to, I guess, mentally get there. Um, and I quite like challenging myself to do it. And I, I have to say, I haven't done it since having Teddy. So it's been a couple of years since, uh, setting myself these weird challenges. Yeah. This is going to sound really strange, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just so, it's so funny, Meg, because I'm like listening to you talk about this running and I'm like, this is so unrelatable for me because I could not even imagine going out for a run and lasting longer than like one kilometer without falling over. So it's just so oh, funny. I know. The thing is, it's stupid. It's, it's not advisable. You shouldn't go out and run a half marathon without so training. Funny. Yeah. So, I'm talking about like I'm comfortable going for a 5K run yeah, and I've yeah. had to run 21 or 22. Just randomly, yeah. It's random. It's completely random. I just yeah. decided I'm going to go for a run. You know what? Yeah. I think I'm going to do a half marathon this morning. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing, which I wasn't even going to say because it's so bizarre, but I – used to do it after I'd been drinking the night before because oh my gosh. I knew it would get rid of my hangover. You, you oh, had Meg. Hangover after running a half marathon. <laughs> I know this sounds absolutely mental. That is so funny. And the reason for bringing this up is not to gloat about my mental <laughs> um, running challenge that I set myself with a hangover which I by the way do not have anymore I do definitely do not have hangovers because I have a toddler Mm -hmm. um but the reason I brought this up is because Blair used it as as an example during my labor yeah yeah just kept saying this is like when you go out and run a half marathon you know it's just a mental game you know you've just got to do one more kilometer one more kilometer keep going and you finally get there and that's basically what I did. I just kept seeing every contraction as getting closer. And it was at this point that I realized the gas was not helping me at all and it was really stressing me out and that I'd done a lot better with the contractions prior to having the gas. Although, of course, they'd been easier, I just felt like I was coping better by letting them come and wash over me and you know, come in waves, which is some of the hypnobirthing kind of language that I'd used to prepare for my birth with Teddy, which hadn't worked. But this time, um, it all felt a bit more natural. And I started focusing on breathing through the contractions and letting them come and seeing them as a positive and knowing that they were bringing my baby closer. And um, yeah, I guess really embracing the process yeah. more than fighting it when I was having the gas I felt like I was fighting mm. with my contractions and not allowing them to work um and it was yeah also during this time that I realized that it was a mental game and just like running is when you're not a runner and you know you have to keep running it's just mentally telling yourself yeah. to do this one foot in front of the other yeah. and I have to say you know Jordan you said that it sounds really unnatural and unrelatable for you to hear about me going and running. Birth is does not feel like a natural. Yes, yeah, you're so right. It's yeah. this bizarre process that you can't really prepare for, and it doesn't matter how yeah. you've trained. 
it's completely different from anything mm. you will ever experience. And I think even your births are different. And also your body is so good at forgetting uh, pain and trauma or yeah. um, the the experience that, that hurts that even going into your second birth, I don't think you can properly remember your first yeah. as a coping mechanism and also to encourage the continuation of the human race, I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. Our bodies actually suppress those memories of what it feels like so um you know in a very roundabout way going for a run that you haven't prepared for and that you don't feel capable of achieving is fairly you know similar to to giving birth you just have to keep going and this actually brings me to something that I will tell every person that I talk to about giving birth which is that I was absolutely convinced I would not be able to do it that I mm. got to a stage of the labor and I think this was probably around eight or nine centimeters that I was completely convinced that I could not do it and that I was yeah. going to go to hospital and I was scared I was really really mm. scared and I felt like my body was failing me again um but but most of all I just knew that I couldn't do it and what I wish that my midwife had told me or that someone had told me prior to this um was that everybody feels like that yeah yeah that it's really normal to mm. feel like your body cannot do it and the reason that I know that now is because I asked my midwife a week or so later I said you know how often is it that you're in the pool or oh, sorry that your um client mummy is in the pool and she says she can't do it and she believes that she can't do it and that she might need to be transferred to hospital because she can't possibly go through it. And that's when Tilly said, everybody feels like that. Yeah, yeah. Around eight, nine centimetres, every single person goes through this, well, you know, you can't say every person, but the the majority of people get to the stage of going, no, I can't do it, my body won't yeah. do it. And I think had somebody told me that prior to birth or if my midwife had told me that during birth when I was feeling if she had said the way you're feeling is normal, you are doing it and you are going to be able to do it, but everybody feels like they won't, then I think that would have really helped me too. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good piece of advice because that's one thing I learned through my hypnobirthing instructor Mm. training was that – and that probably sounds more to me like your your transition sort of phase, like whatever you want to call it is 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 you your body getting into this state so close to your baby being born where you think oh i I actually can't do this, I've got no idea how my baby is going to get out of me, and yeah. it's just not possible for me to do this, and it is so so common the majority of women in birth feel like that, so I'm really glad that you brought that up well. I'm going to I'm going to honestly tell everybody I know who's giving birth yeah, yeah. they're going to feel like that. Um, yeah. if you know that it's normal then it's a lot easier to get past. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so that was that was I guess that 8 9 centimeter mark that um yeah. but I obviously kept going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is even though I knew I couldn't do it or cuz it, it, it at the time it does feel like it's not just I don't think I can do it. It's I know I can't do yeah, it. I'm yeah. so convinced that I won't be able to do this. But at the same time, I was like, I'm naked in the pool. What am I actually <laughs> going to do? Like, yeah. 
Yeah. You're going to get up, put a towel around me, and then <laughs> just fly stop. Yeah. You can't stop the process yeah. and turn up and go, all right, okay, I'm I'm ready for for you guys to do this for me. As if that's yeah. what happens. Because of course I gave birth at the hospital last time. It was still just as hard. Yeah. You know, it wasn't um it wasn't like it's not easy wherever you are and however you give birth, it's this huge challenge and a mental mm. challenge as well as a physical one. So Blair was giving me all the positive reinforcement that I needed but what I'd also really wanted was for my midwife to tell me that I had been progressing uh, because I needed to know that it was working and although I'd started doing the right thing in terms of relaxing mentally and breathing through the contractions of course you don't really know what's going on in your cervix and whether you Mm -hmm. are actually dilating so I must have asked her quite a few times over the course of those hours if she would check me um yeah. but she just kept saying you'll know when it's time to push mm. that's when you'll be fully dilated and she also repeated the um if it hurts at the front then you're still dilating if it hurts at the back you then you're ready to push for whatever reason my body actually did not fully dilate so i actually only got to 9 centimeters, which may be why it got really confusing because I was definitely still feeling it at the front and then for the second half of the contraction I would feel it at the back and it wasn't like I felt like I needed to push it was an inability to stop pushing so I would begin my contraction and feel like it was my cervix and then it was an uncontrolled bodily sort of reaction to really strongly be pushing and Mm. So when my midwife said this to me, I, I tried to explain. I said, it's definitely both. It's still at the front at the beginning, and then it goes to the back. And she said, well, if your body's telling you to push, then push. And I, But she'd also said, if my body hadn't fully dilated, that it would damage the cervix or something like that if I pushed too early. Yeah. So I was feeling pretty confused, and that's when I said, I really, really need you to feel where the cervix is and tell me what to do. And I had asked a few times if she would check me. And I can understand why she didn't. I know that she didn't want to continually check me and she just wanted to let my body do it. But I'd got to the point of feeling this this pressure and this need to push, but I did. I was scared to push because she told me I would damage the cervix. So finally she did. She felt me and she said, okay, you are at nine centimeters. Um, and if the cervix isn't moving and you're feeling the need to push, then what we'll do is I will sort of manually open the cervix while you push. And yeah. so that's what I did. I, I got into this position where I was leaning against the back of the pool and with my pelvis up and she put her fingers against my cervix and she said, push against where you feel my fingers. And as I pushed, she, I guess, moved the cervix or um, applied pressure to it to allow the head to sort of start coming through and so that was when the pushing stage started of course I don't know what time it was and I also have no idea how long the pushing stage was Mm -hmm. of this it's not really a linear um a linear stage is it it's not so straightforward that you know yeah 
Definitely not. I think um, that's something that's really interesting when you don't have a clock in mm. the room, right? Or you've purposefully taken it yeah. down because what feels like to you, it either might feel really long or really short could actually be the opposite way around. And that's that interesting st- that interesting thing about that end stage of labor and birth. Definitely. I have yeah. no idea how long. And so I suppose to put it in perspective, I had the baby just prior to 11 a.m. And so if you recall, it was about 8.30 that Blair took the clock down. So at some stage during there, I um, I must have got to the stage of being ready to push. I would say that I still have no idea how many pushes it took either. But I remember never really believing that it mm. was coming. And so I I was sort of really questioning it, like, are you sure? Are you sure it's coming? Um, and she was like, yes, you're pushing this baby out now. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, if you say so, you know best. Sort of, I don't know. That sounds a lot like self-doubt again. But there was definitely yeah. a lot of doubt throughout the process. Um, but it then became very clear that I was pushing a baby out because in the position I was in, with, with you know, leaning against the, Blair was sort of holding me up um, to save me slumping into the water. And I had my pelvis up, so I actually had the most incredible view of the baby's head sort of frowning and coming coming out. It was pretty amazing because you've got the oh, water. Wow. You, it, yeah, I, I'm not – I guess my – because you, you'd think that my stomach would be in the way, but mm. I suppose the baby had moved so yeah, far yeah. Um, my um, birth canal that it was no longer sort of in my stomach, and I, I had mm. this very – clear view of this um very thick head of hair coming out and um everything was very pink and stretched um, (laughs) but I I did have the most amazing sort of view and that's I guess when that that sort of incredible feeling of pushing a bowling ball out your bottom which is all I can liken it to um that feeling started and I think that is definitely a feeling that your body forgets that it has to yeah. Yeah. So even though I know how I describe it at the time I still can't quite picture it in my body now mm. because I've suppressed that um sensation um but it didn't take too long um in that position and I was relieved that I didn't need an episiotomy uh the head felt gigantic and turned yeah. out gigantic she also did come out asynclitic, which is where the baby's head is on an angle, angled towards the shoulder. So it comes on a sli- in a slightly strange um, position, which makes it wider. So although I didn't need the episiotomy, she did um, break through the stitching that I'd had from Teddy's birth. So mm-hmm. I had tear from that, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad. I remember the head came out and then I was like, surely I'm done. Like I've done all this. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh my God, I've got to push the body out as well. And it's the shoulders. And, um, there was definitely like a, come on, this has got to be over. I can't keep yeah. going. Um, but nothing lasts forever. And, and we got there and I felt amazing. I felt yeah. absolutely amazing which I didn't really feel after Teddy's birth I Mm. didn't sort of have this incredible like wow moment Mm. of of oh my god we actually just did that this 
this has happened. She's out and mm. she's on my chest. And Teddy was taken away from me immediately and the cord was cut immediately and he needed to go to the recess station. And so it was this amazing, amazing feeling of having her on me. And um, we got to do that skin to skin and that delayed cord clamping. And wow, that was such a relief, actually. Even just thinking about it now it makes me emotional because mm. I did. And that's when I really started feeling like, oh, my God, I did it. I got the birth that I wanted. Mm. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it wasn't the spa bath um, that I had envisaged, you know, reading a magazine with a scented candle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, oh, it was amazing. I'm really happy um, thinking about about that and just the sense of achievement. Um, mm. Having doubted myself so, so much um, was, was really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And did she come straight up to your chest? And how did you find out that she was a girl? Oh, what yeah. was that like? Because <laughs> I was absolutely certain that we were having a boy. Yeah. And so happy about it. I was I was certain that we were having a boy and that we were gonna have two little boys. And yeah. we were both fairly fairly confident that this was going to be our last. And so I just envisaged the um the completion of our family with another little boy and so much so that we hadn't really chosen a girl's name because we didn't need to and we yeah. disagreed we disagreed on girls names and so what was the point we um we might as well just not have a, a fight about it and yeah. just the boy's name that we know we're having anyway yeah um, and I was so convinced that I think I actually convinced Blair that we were having a boy yeah um, and I've got to say it was really interesting um, because obviously now I know she was a girl and I had such a different pregnancy. And as you may know, if you follow me or have um, listened to my other birth story, one of my journals is a pregnancy journal. And so throughout the pregnancy, I was comparing the two and the two pregnancies were so different. Mm. Now I'm fascinated to know if if you do just have different pregnancies with different genders or if it's your body dealing with it differently or if the fact that you're running off a toddler all the time tires yeah. you out. That's got to play into it somehow. It's part of it, right? Yeah. Um, every week I would look back on everything I wrote and, you know, like I had heartburn with Teddy. I had um, SIJ pain and all of these different things. And I was like, you know, really interested in, in working out whether that meant anything. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Um, but Blair... Blair was also, I suppose, convinced that we were having a boy. Tilly put, so Emmy was on my chest at this point, and she and Tilly said, do you want to see what it is? And I said, oh, Blair can have a look. So Blair lifted up the towel and had a look. Now, oh, okay, Emmy. Um, <laughs> upset at this story because it doesn't do her any favours. <laughs> Um, it's very dark in the room, so even though it's morning, it's, it completely was blacked out, and we just had sort of this, I guess, spotlight on. Um, and so Blair lifted the towel, and perhaps the lighting wasn't what it needed to be, or the was <laughs> in the way. Things were rather swollen because he said, "It's a boy." Oh. <laughs> and then, that happens so often. I think I actually think that happens really often. My goodness, like what? I mean, we've all been through quite a, an adventure that morning, but you're yeah. obviously a little bit um, confused yourself. So he, yeah, he sort of said, it's a boy. Oh, wait, no, it's a girl. <laughs> I was like, 
well, are we sure this time? Like, yeah. That is so strange, so bizarre, but I'm glad to hear it happens more often than you think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that really shocked me more than more than it should when you haven't found out the gender. How can you be that shocked about what you have? But um, I was really, really surprised, and it took me back. I took I was taken aback by it. I felt um, really confused because I I was going to have another boy. And what do you mean it's a girl? Yeah. I, I'm really. Are you sure? What this yeah. is? This is not okay. And you know, not that I, I didn't have any disappointment um, because I didn't know, and it, it doesn't matter at all. It didn't matter to me, but it was. It really threw me. No, I'm so happy now. I mean, it's lovely having one of each. Um, and I, I'm. Just, I feel really grateful to have a daughter now, especially because I don't have my mum around anymore, and I had such yeah. a special relationship with my mum that. I feel really blessed to have this opportunity to have a daughter and um yeah. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Really cool. And so what happened from there? Did you need any stitches for your tear yeah. or yeah, you're gonna talk us through the next couple of hours in the birth centre? Yeah. yeah, it was it was great being in the in the birth centre because I knew I'd be staying there so I wouldn't have to leave. Um yeah. Tilly told me I needed stitching and I didn't want to be stitched and I kept saying are you sure like I really I feel like I've been through enough like I really don't <laughs> want to be um I think one of the first things that I said after the birth was I'm never doing that again <laughs> so <laughs> I was still feeling like wow and she was big did I mention that no you um, didn't oh Teddy was like seven pounds she was nine. Oh my gosh <laughs> this like first this sorry, so this second birth that I was going to have, which was going to be quick and easy, may actually have been a lot quicker and a lot easier had it not been quite so big and asymptomatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were all really surprised to see this very, very big baby. And I wasn't very big um, during my pregnancy. I got, I didn't, you know, get as big as I was with Teddy. I think I put on around uh, eight or nine kilos. Yeah. So. The fact that she was four kilos actually came as quite a surprise because I put on yeah. about I put on about ten kilos with Teddy and then he was only three kilos. So I was sort of hoping for a small one. Um, so as well as being surprised that she was a girl, I was also surprised at just how big a girl she was. Um, but that was part of the reason for needing the stitching. Um, and Tilly insisted that I did need the stitching, and so we did that. Blair went down to um, one of the cafes just below birth care and picked us all up some um, food and coffee. He actually said that it was a very bizarre feeling for him because he was down there ordering coffee and food, and mm. everybody else was just going about their morning, and mm. no one had any idea what he had just been through or what he had just witnessed. And it was quite a surreal feeling that no one knows. Yeah, awesome. And so what sort of happened from there? Did you end up staying in birth care for a couple of nights or what was your plan? I know that you don't, you mentioned you don't have um, family here. And so I can imagine the sort of childcare arrangements with Teddy is a little bit harder. So do you want to talk us through what your plan was there and what ended up happening? So, um, Teddy was at was at daycare for the morning, and then Molly, who had t- um, come over in the morning, went and picked him up. But so when Emmy was born at eleven, it took a couple of hours, um, you know, f- to get to the room. 
And then really, really emotional. I was sort of, Emmy was lying in that little birth care bed and I was lying on the bed, just bawling my eyes out. I was, I couldn't stop crying. And I think it was partly because Blair had to leave. Um, and so I was going to be alone. And that was a very strange thing. He had to go and pick up Teddy. Um, or sorry, go home to sort of pick up Teddy. He had been brought yeah. home from day. And it was just this really sort of unusual being left alone and also feeling really far away from Teddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, just the emotional sort of roller coaster that you've just been on. But I, I was really upset, um, lying in that birth care room. And when Blair left, I think I, I still cried for quite a while. Um, and those first few days actually were really quite emotional because I kept being by myself. I think yeah. anytime Blair would leave, I'd start feeling really overwhelmed by it all. Yeah. Um, so Blair ended up coming back just later that afternoon with Teddy. So it was probably around four or five PM that he got back. Um, yeah. Teddy was really excited. We had talked <laughs> about having a baby in mummy's tummy for you know, months, and he definitely had started understanding the concept of what was happening. And we we talked a lot about babies and what babies were. And anytime we saw a baby, we pointed out. Or, and I I used to pretend to scan my stomach with my pregnancy app uh, and yeah. the image of the baby and say, "There's the baby in mummy's tummy." That's such a good idea. I've been wondering actually selfishly the same thing because Jai will be 22 months when this yeah. baby's born, and I'm just. At the moment, he's got no idea or sort of concept of yeah. when when I say that, but that's such a good idea. Yeah, so I have this app, which is I think I've deleted. I probably deleted it now, but I think it was called Pregnancy Plus. Oh yeah, 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 and yeah, Pregnancy Plus, and it it gives you a really clear picture of your baby, and you can also select um sort of the baby that you think your baby might look like, depending yeah. on your your partner and yourself. Um, and so we, and, and actually Emmy looks a lot like the baby that we had oh, selected. Funny. <laughs> um, so I would do, I would make the sound effects and I'd sort of do the scanning noise and then I'd show him the picture and he would kiss the baby and he'd kiss mummy's oh. tummy. Um, and so he really had started. To, so I think, I think Jai will too. I'm sure yeah. they're the yeah. same age. Um, they, will, they will be the same age at the time of the birth. Um, so he rushed in, completely bypassed me and went straight to see the baby. Um, and was really interested. It was really yeah. lovely to see that. And a huge relief for me that, um, you know, we, we were back to level two or level one lockdown and that he could meet her because yeah. that's one of my fears that I, you know, I wouldn't be able to see him and he wouldn't be able yeah. to meet his, his little sibling or baby sister. Yeah. Um, so that was really nice. The food at birth care um, was perfect for feeding a toddler. So mm-hmm. anytime a meal came by, because they, they sort of serve quite stodgy food and it was like pasta and um, little mashed potato pies and things like that. I was like, oh, perfect food for Teddy. So um, because cooking food for the toddler is much more work than just getting takeaways for yourself, right? Yeah. So, so Teddy would come um every day he'd come and spend a couple of hours with us at birth care and have his dinner there um on the second night he got really really upset leaving um and Blair said he was sort of crying all the way home and got home so 
after that, we decided that I would go home the next day and at least do bedtime with him uh, because Blair thought it was probably, well, we both thought it was probably because I was leaving, he was leaving me. And yeah. that's a very strange thing for him to do. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, you know, we've just never, we've never been separated. So I did spend the three days at birth care, but I didn't spend a lot of time really there. I spent the nights there, which was good. Um, and it allowed Blair to get some sleep and have a lot more energy the mm-hmm. next day. We had a really busy few days and mm-hmm. it was very different to the few days that I've had with Teddy. Like two days after Emmy was born, we were taking Teddy to the Lego exhibit at yeah. and like, yeah. around that and running between birth care and home and just having so many things to do. And then on the second day, Teddy got gastro as well. Oh, and so God. It was just, it did feel like a bit of a nightmare at the time, mm. and I can laugh about it now, but I was feeling pretty disappointed because, you know, I'd had this really nice relaxing bubble of a newborn time with Teddy, and mm. suddenly we weren't in a relaxing newborn bubble at all. We took him to daycare that morning, not realizing, or sorry, Blair took him to daycare, then he came to see me, and I had just got out of the shower to see Blair on the phone and I was like why are you on the phone what could possibly be that important and he was on the phone to daycare saying that he needed to be picked up we had to pack and so that's we decided to leave immediately I packed everything we had um within I guess 20 minutes I was going to feed her but instead of feeding her I put my breast pump on um and collected the milk thinking that would be faster and I could feed her I could sit in the back and feed her on the way home she needed it in the capsule um we ended up like taking her out of birth care with all of our stuff on a trolley to <laughs> save multiple trips so I literally was the Blair went and did one trip and then I put the capsule on a trolley with some flowers and the breast pump and it was this really hectic like this is not the newborn bubble I thought I was getting at all um, in my haste, I put the breast pump on top of the cart, drove off with it. And so, oh no. Was, and then that like just threw me again. And we picked up Teddy. Um, and, and it just sort of changed, I guess, the way we thought that week was going to go. Um, and it was probably the first, first adjustment we had to make to, you know, life with two under two and yes, having a bit yeah. of never going to be straightforward. So it was a good lesson. Um, but it was, it made it a lot more challenging. And as you said, we don't have family. We didn't have anyone we could, you know, really ask to look mm. after. Because, and who do you ask to look after a sick toddler? Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't send him out for a fluffy with a friend or ask no. or, or to a, a friend's house for a play date with their toddler. Yeah. Because yeah. he's going to pass it on. So, um, that probably was part of it. Um, but I, I sort of had a, a pretty blue week that first week I found really hard I was crying a lot I felt um just that it wasn't the experience that I expected it to be um but now looking back on it and after a few days I sort of realized that it wasn't so much the circumstance it was just a very natural um hormonal change that I was going through that was making me receptible to any kind of um feeling of overwhelm and um once I realized that and I, I got, I got a lot better, um, really fast, but it was a really emotional week. And I, I, I hope that anybody who has been through 
that that feeling or is going to give birth you give yourself I guess permission to feel really mm-hmm. emotionally upset in those first few days it's it's not always what you think it's going to be mm. yeah I remember seeing your post actually on Instagram um and I think you talked about at the end of it the baby blues and yeah. postnatal depression and I just yeah I totally agree I think we sometimes it's our expectations of how that time will be and 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 it might not you know end up being that way or sometimes you're right it really is just our hormones going through this absolutely huge shift um and did you end up talking to anyone about how you were feeling or what did you what what helped you I talked to my I had talked to my midwife I talked to Blair um I had a couple of little meltdowns about things we did a kitchen renovation in the last trimester let's not talk about that never stop (laughs) I ended up having a bit of a meltdown on the phone to someone and Blair was sort of like it's not that bad don't worry too much about it and I and that's when I realized that all of these little things that were getting me down were only little things yeah but that my for example Teddy having gastro it's really not that bad it disrupted my week and it changed things from the way that I imagined them being, but it wasn't that bad. And the silver lining is that, you know, we spent that whole week together as a new family of four and he didn't get to go to daycare, you know, mm. three months and he didn't get to spend time with his friends, but we all spent time together. And once I started realizing that it was my hormones blowing things out of proportion rather than the sky is falling, um, that really helped me. And, I guess I gave myself permission to feel like that. Um, And so talking to my midwife, talking to Blair and getting a bit of perspective and realizing that these feelings were so normal, which is why I did the post. It was a, these are normal feelings. And once you realize they're normal feelings and accept them, then you can probably deal with them better, but also you need to be able to acknowledge them because you they can develop into a postnatal depression or yeah. other mental health challenges yeah. if you acknowledge um, acknowledge them and get help soon. So yeah. for me, it, it was a, basically just a mental turning point of um, of knowing where the feelings were coming from. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really an important message um, and helpful, probably not only for first time mums, but for mums who've had their second or third or fourth or fifth or however many um, children and feel differently maybe to the way that they felt after their first sort of birth experience. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Oh, that's okay. I was only going to say that my midwife said that um, for many women that having their second baby is the most mentally challenging because you don't know what to expect and you you don't Mm – know how different it is going to feel of course if yeah. you have a subsequent you're prepared for that because you know that yeah. it's completely different but when it is your second all you know is what has gone before and that is so mm. not the same um and I would say the other silver lining you know apart from us spending the week together is that it was really like a trial by fire it was yes. a really it was a really challenging week but then week two was a lot easier and yeah. um, Right now, I oh, I don't want to go on about this too much, but my hip has given me a lot of trouble. Yeah. So during my pregnancy with Teddy, I had this SIJ pain. And although I didn't have it with Emmy during pregnancy, 
about a week after her birth, um, I started having sort of issues walking and having now been to my physio, I know that it, it is that and I just need to work on, you know, reconnecting the muscle and uh, strengthening that again. Yeah. Um, so that's been a real challenge now that Blair's back at work and I'm looking after the two the two kids in a three-story house and running around after all of them and wondering yeah. how my body's ever going to heal because I'm never going to rest again. But yeah. um, the silver lining to that is that, you know, again, you start off with a challenge and as my body heals, it can only get easier to to deal with that. So, yeah, yeah I'm of the positives. Um, there yeah. yeah, cool. And how are you finding breastfeeding? Did you breast, do you want to just give us a yeah. really quick overview of what breastfeeding was like with Teddy and then how you found it different, if you found it different this time around? It's been great. Um, and it, it was never bad with Teddy, but she latched yeah. on um, when we were in the pool even. So within half an hour of being born, she was feeding. Yeah. Uh, again, we had the colostrum. We topped her up. From the first day um, we got started on that and it's been a really positive journey with her. I pump um, sometimes during the day but I always use my manual pump overnight um, so while she feeds on one breast I will manually pump the other. I put that milk in a little freezer bag and then I top her up with that at night um, and just feed on demand throughout the day. In fact, I feed a lot during the day. She will feed sort of every 90 minutes, I would say, on, on average. So we do a lot of, of day feeding. And then, um, yeah, as I say, I, I sort of pump at night and I use that as a top up in the evenings, which has yeah. helped with those first few weeks of sleep too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. And do you have Emmy and a co-sleeper in your room or what's your sleeping set up with her? Yes, we had a co-sleeper with Teddy as well. Uh, this time we're trying a different one. And she's sleeping fairly well. During the day, she will only sleep on me, yes. which is, you know, so normal for a newborn. Although, as as you know, Jordan, I've worked out that she also will sleep in a couple of strange places so long <laughs> as I've got the right soundtrack because yeah. um, she wouldn't sleep the other night. So I just popped her in the sink on a towel while I got her bath ready and the the running water was a dream she well literally she went to sleep and I had a shower so now anytime I can I put the YouTube uh running water soundtrack on and I see if I can get a, a few minutes to myself but during the day yeah. always sleeping on me and then at night she does pretty well in the co-sleeper now the first couple of weeks um we did a lot of co-sleeping with her yeah. in bed from about 4 or 5 a.m it was just impossible to get her back down and that was something I didn't do with Teddy I was too scared I think um some people uh, maybe have negative experiences or opinions about co-sleeping with mm-hmm. in the bed um but if you're not overweight and not drinking it's actually a lot safer than others might have you believe mm-hmm. um but certainly with Teddy, I was too scared to co-sleep, so I didn't sleep anywhere near as much because I spent so long trying to settle him in the co-sleep mm-hmm. next to me. Um, so for the first few weeks, well, couple, she's only three weeks old, for the first couple of weeks, there was a lot more of her in the bed. But every night, I still try my best to get her settled in the co-sleeper next to me. And if that fails for any reason, then I'll just get her get her in bed. But the last week's been really good. and. Um, this morning she was in her, oh, excuse me, oh, sweetie. 
Um, this morning she was in her own bed till almost nine. So that was a really positive oh, girl. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And is there anything else that you want to share about your pregnancy or your birth or your sort of postpartum period so far that we haven't covered? You know, I think this is something that you and I spoke about very briefly before, but there are so many challenges along the way with pregnancy, birth, having a baby, certainly having a baby and a toddler, but you actually just work it out and it's actually okay. It's not, yeah. it's not that bad. Yeah. And I found that so long as you just get on with it and try, I try not to think about all the things I have to do too much, but just do that. <laughs> And yeah. it's a lot more naturally than I thought it would. Yeah. And I really, really, I really built up a lot of these things in my head about how hard they were going to be, how hard birth was going to be, how hard pregnancy with a toddler was going to be, and how hard having a baby with a toddler was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and I really shouldn't, you know, allow so much self-doubt to creep in because <laughs> all, all of these things are doable and um I said a couple of days ago, if you've got through an entire day and kept your baby alive, you're doing really, really well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I just, I hope that people give themselves a lot of credit for for what they're doing or whatever stage they're at. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yourself during during this journey, it's it's a challenging one, but yeah, we've got it. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. I've loved talking to you again. Um, feel free to have more babies so you can come back on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I've, remind um, myself that after birth, I said I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. Going, yeah, I really don't want to do it again. Um, yeah. But I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> awesome. No, but thank you, Meg. I, I, I've really loved talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you've really enjoyed it. I really enjoy speaking with Meg, so I'm pretty confident that you're going to like that one. I would love if you could leave me a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts, or feel free to send me an email, kiwibirthtales at gmail.com, or flick me a message on Instagram at kiwibirthtales. I'd love to hear from you and love to hear how you found the episode. Looking forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.